Thank you very much, um, Alison, for reading that to us. Um, let's just pray as we come to think about this passage. Father, we thank you for this, um, your word. We thank you for it teaches us, even when it's recording stories from 4,000 years ago, that I still have a lot to teach us today. So help us this morning. Help me to speak your word faithfully and help us all by your spirit to hear what you want to say to us. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, what's in a name? Um, these days, I guess people choose names because um, they like the sound of the names, or maybe they're naming them after someone else that they know, that they value, a relative or something. Um, my parents call me Paul, which apparently has a meaning, um, and the meaning for Paul is small, which you might think is a strange name to give me, seeing as I'm over six foot and everything else. Um, but actually, when you think about it, when I was born, I was very small, so it, it didn't make some sense at the time, I guess. Um, but what's in a name? Often we don't think about the meanings. Well, it's wonderful, isn't it, um, to be baptising Grace um, this morning. And, and Grace, I don't know why you chose the name Grace, um, but Grace is a wonderful name, um, particularly when you think about it as Christians. I mean, think about one of the most famous hymns that Christians sing. It's Amazing Grace. Um, and, and for Christians, the word grace is such a powerful word because it describes how God treats us. Um, it means this. It means God's generosity to those who do not deserve it. God's generosity to those who do not deserve it. And when we talk about God's amazing grace, we're saying that he, he gives us lots of things, even though we don't deserve it. Now, the guy who wrote Amazing Grace was a guy called John Newton. Uh, and John Newton was, started off life, his career, as a slave trader in the 18th century. Uh, and he would have treated um, the people he was taking from Africa to America um, horrendously. Uh, and his lifestyle would have been nothing like what you'd expect for a Christian. And he knew that God would rightly judge him for that. Just as these days we judge the slave traders of the past, don't we? Pulling their statues down and so on. But he knew that God was going to judge him for that. And yet he discovered that when he became a Christian, that God's judgment had happened already. When Jesus had died on the cross, Jesus had taken the judgment for John's sins. So that he could be forgiven. He could start a new life. And he did. He became a Christian. He became a preacher. He became a hymn writer. And actually, he became someone who was at the forefront of campaigning to end slavery at the end of the 18th century and the beginning of the 19th century. And he discovered God's amazing grace. That God, through God's generosity, he treated him in a way he did not deserve. And so the hymn goes, doesn't it? Amazing grace who saved a wretch like me. Looking back on his past life, he knew that it was wretched, and yet God still saved him. That was grace. So grace is an amazing name. But did you notice at the end of the reading we just had that a lot of naming is going on? Um, there's actually three names that are mentioned. Um, Ishmael is mentioned. The angel tells um, Hagar that her son's going to be called Ishmael. Um, then the name of the um, well is Beer Lahai Roy. Um, that doesn't mean you get beer when you put the bucket down the well. You might like that idea, but that's probably not what it means. Um, and naturally, Hagar gives a name to God. That's quite... Um, presumptuous, isn't it? Um, she calls God El Roy. And these names are important because they all have a meaning. Um, so the name Ishmael means God hears. The name Beer Lahai Roy means 
the living one who sees me. And Elroy means the God who sees me. Three names, but all really making the same point, aren't they? Here is Hagar, this insignificant slave girl, um, pregnant, running away, um, trying to get back to her home place, not knowing what they'll make of her there. And yet she discovers that God hears her. God sees her. God understands what she's going for. God notices her and God cares for her. People like Hagar matter to God. And yet this is the end of the story. What's happened before, um, we need to understand what's happened to Hagar and actually that she's been really badly treated by God's people. You see, this part of our story um, in, in Genesis, the part, first part of the Bible, is telling us about the story of Abraham and Sarah. And Abraham and Sarah are meant to be the heroes of the story. They're meant to be the foundation of God's people. In the rest of the Bible, it sometimes talks about um, the people of God as being the children of Abraham. And they're foundational to God's people because they are the people that first received God's grace. Even though they lived messed up lives and were a bit of a messed up family, God comes and chooses them and says, look, Abraham, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your family into a great nation. I'm going to give you the promised land. And you as a nation, as a people, are going to be a blessing to the rest of the world. And God did that not because Abraham was great, but because of God's grace. And Abraham's example to us is that, first and foremost, he believed what God was promising him. And he trusted God, so he left his home city, Haran, and he went to the promised land that God was promising to him. And so Abraham and Sarah's wife are examples to us of faith. They're foundational, the people of God's. But they were still very much a work in progress. And in this story, they mess up big time. You see, we can be people of grace. We can be God's people. But it's so easy to fall from grace to start living in ways that God finds horrendous and would condemn. And that's what happens in this story. Oops, sorry, I've gone too fast. <laughs> Sarai and Abraham have been waiting for God to give them a child. It's been 10 years they've been in the promised land, 10 years since God had made these promises to them, 10 years since they'd left Haran, and, and Sarah has not got pregnant. And she's getting old. The chances of her getting pregnant are getting less and less and less. And they're thinking, what's happening here? What's God doing here? And actually, Sarah's moved on from seeing God as a God of grace and a God of blessing and now thinks that God is cursing her. If you look at verse 2, it says this. Sarah says to Abraham, the Lord has kept me from having children. In other words, she sees God now as treating her badly. She's given up on thinking God is a God of grace and thinks God has got it in for her. And so what does she do? She stops trusting that God will provide for them. And she starts doing things in the way that everyone else in her world would do them. You see, what she does next to us seems horrendous. But in her time, 2,000 years ago in the area of Samaria and so on, it was quite normal practice. We know that because... We've got records from that time. Of, we've got laws from that time. The law of Hammurabi is a very famous one. and It talks about this kind of practice. 
She was a wealthy woman. She couldn't have children, so what she do? She takes her slave girl, Hagar, and she gives her slave girl to her husband, Abraham, with the idea that Abraham will make Hagar pregnant and then Hagar's child would be counted as her child. It happened all over the place at that time. And so she does that. But of course, we rightly look on that and think, that's a horrendous thing to do, isn't it? Not only is there a sense of Hagar being a slave, but, but worse than that, um, she's taking her slave and giving her to her husband to have sex with. This is sort of a sex trafficking type thing. And it's also adultery, isn't it? She's encouraging her husband to have adultery, to sleep with someone that's not her. On all sorts of levels, we'd rightly condemn this behavior. And actually, the way the Bible writer writes the story, he wants to show us that this is wrong. So he uses an interesting phrase. He says that um, Sarah took Hagar and gave her to her husband. Now, you might think that's a, sort of, that's a fairly natural way of saying it. But that, that phrase of taking something and giving it to her husband is only used in one other place in the Bible. Do you know where that place is? It's Genesis chapter 3, the Garden of Eden, where Eve takes the fruit that God has told them not to eat and gives it to her husband, Adam, to eat. And he eats it. The way the story is written is saying that Abraham and Sarah, they're meant to be the people of God. They're meant to be foundational to this new people, this new way. But actually, they're acting just like everyone else. They're acting in the way of the first people that rejected God. They're just being like Adam and Eve. And just as Adam and Eve ended up with disaster, being kicked out of the Garden of Eden, being away from the tree of life, so this ends up for disaster for Sarah. The story soon goes wrong for her, doesn't it? She gives Hagar to Abraham. Abraham sleeps with her. And Hagar becomes pregnant. And Hagar starts thinking, hey, I got pregnant with your husband. You spent, tried 10 years to do it and completely failed. I'm clearly far better than you. And she starts looking down on her mistress. And so Sarah goes back to Abraham and rather than saying, I got this wrong, says, Abraham, you got this wrong. You slept with my slave girl and now look what's happened. It was her idea. Things had gone badly wrong for her. And Abraham did, just completely shows no responsibility. He just says, go and do what you like with your slave girl. And so Sarah starts abusing Hagar. Starts treating her really badly. So much so that Hagar ends up running away. And if you're a Christian here, this is a warning for us. We may be the people of God, but it's so easy to fall from grace. It's so easy to go from seeing God as a God who's blessed us in so many ways and to start focusing on the things that we think are going wrong in our life and start seeing God as a curse for us. And when we do that, when we forget what the blessings that God has given us, the fact that we're forgiven, the fact that we have eternal life, all these amazing things, when we start forgetting those things and start focusing on the problems in life, and we stop trusting in God. We stop trusting that God will see us through and we start taking shortcuts. We start doing things in the wrong ways. We start doing things in a way that other people would do them in the rest of the world. And we even become people that abuse and treat others badly. As Christians, we need to keep our focus on God's grace and trusting in that. But if you're here as not a Christian and maybe a lot of you are here because you're here for the baptism, maybe your experience of church in the past has been one 
like Hagar's. Maybe your experience of the people of God, or maybe you've been at a church, or maybe you've known a Christian at work, and they've treated you horrendously. There's stories, we know that there's cases of um, priests or church leaders abusing people in all sorts of ways. Sadly, God's people often do fall from God's grace. They do fall from the way God calls them to live. Have you been a victim of that? Can I apologize on behalf of God's people? Can I say, sorry, that's not the way it's meant to be? And we rightly want to condemn that and move away from that. You may feel like Hagar, but if you do, then like Hagar, you need to discover afresh God's grace. See what happens in the story? Hagar is running away from her, her mistress. She's running back to, towards Egypt. That's what the geography tells us. And as she gets to this well, suddenly this man appears who turns out to be an angel of the Lord. And the story says that the angel of the Lord found her. Here's this girl that's been treated so horrendously, so badly, is fleeing away from the people of God. But God has not given up on her. God has not forgotten her. God hears her. God sees her. God notices her. And more than that, as he comes to her, he says to her, go back to Abraham. Go back so that your child is recognized as being truly Abraham's child. Go back so that you can receive some of the blessing that I want to give to Abraham, not through the way they treated you, but the way I will treat you. God says, I will bless you, and your son will also become a great nation. Your son will also become a majestic people, a large number of people. You will be blessed by me, even though you've been treated horrendously by my people, Abraham and Sarai. And so Hagar does go back. And the story goes on, and a child is born, Ishmael. He's named Ishmael by Abraham, which shows that he's accepted what the angel has said. And eventually Ishmael will become a great nation. And eventually Abraham and Sarah will trust again in God's grace, and he will give them another child that will be the child of promise. But as Christians as well, we know that this is what God does, doesn't he? Just as the angel found Hagar, so God came as Jesus. And when he came as Jesus, he said this, I've come, I am the son of man. I come to seek and save what was lost. And as Jesus walked amongst people, he often mixed with people that other the other people of God, the, the Pharisees, the, the, the leaders of the people, looked down on, that they'd rejected, that they'd pushed away, that they'd abused in a sense, that the prostitutes and the tax collectors. And yet Jesus comes to them. He finds them. And he offers them God's grace, God's salvation. This is the God who seeks the lost, the God who hears the God who sees, the God of grace. And so as we come here this morning, as we celebrate the baptism of grace, um, what a wonderful name. But let's remember what grace means. It means God's generosity to those who don't deserve it. If you're already a Christian, 
then keep focusing and rejoicing and praising God for his wonderful grace to you. And if you're not a Christian, especially if maybe your experience of Christians in the past has been bad, remember that's not the way it's meant to be. That's not the way God wants it. God himself is a God of grace. And he long for you to respond to him seeking you, to turn to him and trust in him and find the blessings and the grace that he wants to give to you, including forgiveness for any past sins like John Newton, including the hope of eternal life that only he can give. Will you trust in the grace of God? Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your love for us. We thank you so much that you offer us this gift of grace. Even as today we celebrate grace's baptism, help us to celebrate your grace to us, not forgetting it that we might fall away from it and become the kind of people you don't want us to be, and not allowing past um, abuse or hurts to get in the way of discovering this grace that you want to give us. In your name we pray. Amen.